Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from the African Perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with and Musa Tabusolohoko and Figililingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Kenya's main opposition leader cleared to run for presidency and Lesotho politicians make final push for votes. In economics news, British Airways passengers face disruptions and in sports news, Senegal through to the second round of the Under-20 World Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Examining emails showing that the wealthy, politically connected Gupta family run South Africa and are behind the decisions President Zuma has taken. The DA has consulted its lawyers to seek legal opinion on what charges can be brought. The DA's Graham charges. Today's revelations give proof to the allegations that were previously uh, put forward by civil society, by opposition parties and by whistleblowers that there in fact is a small connected group of people who are holding the state to ransom and are looting state coffers for their own personal gain. Uh, We have approached our lawyers. Egypt have launched a fresh round of airstrikes over Libya targeting militant camps it said were responsible for a shooting spree that killed dozens of Egyptian Christians. On Friday, Egyptian fighter jets struck eastern Libya just hours after a shooting that killed 29 people and wounded 24 in the southern Egyptian province of Minya when masked militants boarded vehicles en route to a monastery and opened fire at close range. Islamic State claimed responsibility for the attack. President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi on Friday said he had ordered air raids on militant camps in Libya, where he said the Minya gunmen had trained, though he did not name a specific group responsible. Hundreds of demonstrators have blocked the main street in the center of the Moroccan capital, Rabat. They are backing protests in the north of the country, which have been growing in intensity in intensity for seven months, the BBC's David Bamford reports. The wave of unrest affecting Morocco since late last year shows no sign of abating and indeed has spread to the capital, Rabat. Large numbers of demonstrators have been on the main avenues in the city centre to support the descent. On Friday, there was violence in the northern town of al Hasema as police tried to arrest a well-known activist, Nasser Zefsafi, after he interrupted a prayer ceremony at a mosque. The spark for the nationwide tension was the killing of a fish seller in al Hasema last October as he tried to prevent local officials destroying his stock. At least eight illegal miners have been confirmed dead in Zimbabwe after mine shafts they were working in collapsed. The state-run ZBS is, ZBC rather, is reporting that at least four of the miners were above ground at Big Mine in Mazwe Valley. 
Bacha was sucked into the collapsing shaft. In a very similar incident, at least eight illegal miners were reported killed last September when a shaft collapsed on them at a gold mine they had also overrun in Mazowe Valley. And finally, more than 50% of children in South Africa experience violence at the hands of the people who should be caring for them. That's according to research conducted by the Institute of Security Studies into Violence Against Women and Children. The Institute says the majority of South African children experience violence and conflicts at home. This comes as the country commemorates Child Protection Week. Senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies is Chandra Gould. I think the one thing that parents don't understand, and this is really, really important, Save the Children South Africa recently did a study where they, if they looked at what does it cost South Africa when children experience violence, they came up with a figure that said that it costs our society 238 billion rand a year. Children who experience emotional or physical violence at home or at school are less likely to be able to go on and get well-paying jobs than children who don't experience violence. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. A veteran Kenyan opposition leader, Rayla Odinga, has been cleared by the country's independent electoral commission to contest presidential elections in August this year. President Kenyatta, the leader of the ruling Jubilee Party, is expected to be cleared today by the same electoral commission. James Shimangula reports. Kenya's independent electoral commission has officially cleared Raila Odinga, leader of Kenya's newly created opposition party, National Super Alliance NASA, to face the incumbent, President Uru Kenyatta, during a presidential election to take place on the 8th of August this year. Speaking shortly after he was cleared by the commission, Odinga compared the coming presidential election to a tsunami and went on, to amplify his remarks as follows. This is uh, a very defining moment. As you know, the first time we ran was basically like a, a practicing match. The last two times, as you know, it, it was a disappointment because we won and we were denied a victory. We are hoping that uh, this time around our victory is not going to be denied again. But you also say that it's a contest. And they will win or lose, and if we lose fairly, we will accept. We are going to do our best as a NASA coalition, and we are confident that uh, we will win. 
Odinga's deputy in the presidential contest, Kalonzo Musyoka, flashed back to 2013 when the opposition lost to Uhuru Kenyatta. We did it in 2013. This time, we trust that... Um, God will favor us with tremendous victory, and just not for ourselves, but for our country. This is the moment that uh, this country has been waiting for, a chance to have a proper democratic election. In 2013, victory was stolen. This time, we trust that we will beat Jubilee hands down, and there will be no time for rerun or anything. That was Kalonzo Musyoka, deputy to veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga, in the Kenyan presidential contest. Today, Monday, is Uhuru Kenyatta's turn to be cleared by the same electoral commission to represent his ruling Jubilee party in the election. Now, let us recap by going back to Raila Odinga, who addressed his first political rally in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. The rally which automatically paves the way for Raila Odinga's tedious mission of drumming up support from the electorate was preceded by captivating traditional songs. As you can hear in the background, Raila Odinga, the presidential candidate for the newly created political outfit known as National Alliance, in short, NASA, has just arrived at one of the rallies that is going to address here in Nairobi, a traditional song from his region in western kenya is being sung in the background Raila Odinga is speaking in Kiswahili and he says now the time to liberate Kenyans has come. That was Kenya's opposition leader Raila Odinga making it clear that the time to, as he put it, liberate Kenyans has come. During the rally, Odinga announced that his opposition outfit is assured of 10 million voters when presidential and parliamentary elections are held in Kenya on the 8th of August this year. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Has been told that its attempts to evict an indigenous group of people from forests in the Rift Valley is illegal. The African Court on Human and People's Rights, which is based in Tanzania, ruled that the government in Nairobi had violated the Ogeek people's rights to land and culture. Kenya had wanted to clear the Mao forest for environmental reasons. 35,000 Ogeek people live in the forest. The BBC's David Wafula went to meet some of them. After a treacherous trek deep into this forest, uh, to welcome us in this uh, homestead, she's an old woman. Her name is uh, Rashamba Debola. 
According to Hassan, Rashamba is 96 years old, dressed in a traditional attire made from the skin of wild pigs. We sit down and she begins by narrating how important the forest is to her. I have lived here since I was born. I grew up here, married traditionally, had my family here, buried my husband in this forest when he died. I don't know anywhere else. The Ogiek indigenous community depends on the forest for food, medicine, shelter, and preservation of their culture. They take a lot of pride in places with trees, birds, and wild animals. While visiting one of their makeshift museums, I learned that trees are sacred and form part of their shrines. They have lived in the Mao forest complex for hundreds of years, but the existence of close to 35,000 members of this community across the country is threatened by human encroachment. Rashamba tells me how frightened she was when she encountered civilization for the first time. When I saw an aeroplane for the first time when I was young, we screamed. I hid in our houses for three days without coming out. Can you imagine? In order to protect Kenya's forests, in July 2008, the Kenyan government launched an aggressive campaign to evict people living in the Mao forest complex that it deemed to be living there illegally. This marked the peak of a long battle that existed between the Ogiek and the government. Lobolo Sironga, one of the elders, says it has not been easy. We tried to protest. We were beaten. Others were arrested. We realized it was not helping. So we decided to approach human rights. The case gained momentum that the Ogiek community must be listened to. As Rashamba sang this traditional wedding song, in flashes, I tried to picture how life was hundreds of years ago for the Ogiek, when a beehive and honey was the most coveted bride price, when land was owned communally, measured by the number of ridges. And that report by the BBC's David Wafula in Kenya. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Advanced voting for the June 3rd Lesotho elections has come and gone in the capital Maseru and around the country. Cold temperatures froze the indelible ink and delayed the opening of some voting stations. Meanwhile, the Mountain Kingdom's new political kids on the block held their final rallies in Maseru. Ntakwanangatana reports. IEC staff, security and emergency services personnel, the media and observers voted on Saturday. All advanced voters applied from the 27th of March to the 9th of April. Many voting stations opened on time, but the reality of the cold Lesotho winter is already showing. IEC spokesperson Due Hansi. The delaying was caused by, it's like some voting material such as ink had some sort of freezing because it was like they were saying, yes, we can make a vote, but then we have to wait for at least for sun to come up so that the, the ink can relax a little bit and obviously their hypothesis worked well because it worked and so far so good. Voting stations were expected to close at 5 p.m.
but voters already in queues would be allowed to cast their ballots. Meanwhile, new parties, Alliance of Democrats and Movement for Economic Change, both formed earlier this year, held their final rallies in Maseru. <laughs> Alliance of Democrats broke off from Prime Minister Bagari Tamusisidi's Democratic Congress. Its message of reconciliation has done the unthinkable. It has brought its leader, Munyane Muleleki, into an alliance with former arch-rival and leader of the biggest opposition Obasutu Convention, Tom Tabani. The party has made inroads among the youth. He says young people are looking for opportunities in the arts like rappers and singers and sports. Movement for economic change split from Deputy Prime Minister Motejwa Mitzing's Lesotho Congress for Democracy. At 39, its leader, Sidibe Mutoborwani, is the youngest among the front runners. His track record, first as Minister of Energy, where he led rural electrification, and then as Minister of Small Business, has earned him a reputation for a man of action. He says he will vote for MEC in Mokotlong because there will be opportunities such as setting up wool processing plants for farmers. I'm Takwanangadani in Maseru, Lesotho. Former Treasurer General of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Matthews Polsa, has warned the National Executive Committee members who are supporting President Jacob Zuma to stay in power that they are running a risk of people losing confidence in the movement and the leadership. Delivering the OR Tambo Memorial Lecture at Sikaka. Sikakeni village in the Limpopo province, Posa reiterated calls for Zuma to resign. Rudzani Chibase has more. The former treasurer of the ANC received a resounding welcome at the Skakeni Community Hall in Butoka. Before coming to the hall, Posas Bliss motorcade was taken around the village. The event was organized by the Mawianing branch of the ANC at the Pitamukaba region. Posa has recently indicated that he is ready to accept if nominated to contest the presidency of the ANC. He reiterated his call for President Zuma to step down, saying he is scandalous and not honorable enough to lead the party. Matthew Sposa himself is one of the people who campaigned for Zuma to become the president in 2007. Posa also calls for unity amongst party members and the South Africans as a whole. In the heart of me, the values of Oliver Tambo and the values of good governance and the values by which the ANC was built over the years, I'm saying that us restore the values of Oliver Tambo. Let us unify our party, but let us also unify our people. South Africa belongs to all who live in it, black and white. He accused some members of the ANC-NEC who do not want the president to step down of collapsing the movement. 
POSA calls for them to step down with the president. The question is, what is in it for them, for Zuma to stay in power? We should ask that question as a nation. But it cannot be in our interest that every money we wake up, they say Zuma scandal, it's a Gupta scandal. The whole family is, families are integrated in scandals. South Africa is tired. We're, we're crumbled under the weight of the scandals, which relate to our, our highest office in the country. So the NEC must smell the coffee as a whole. Or they run the risk of people in this country losing confidence in their message leadership. My view is if they're not prepared to remove Zuma, they should all step down with him. Chairperson of the Marianning ANC branch, Nikopo Otuna, says their branch wants Posa to contest for the presidency and they will nominate him when the nomination processes open sometimes in September. We have looked at his track record. We find that he is uh, one without any smack of corruption. He's got a good name. He's credible. He's he's well 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 read, and we we believe that it is about time that the ANC is led by people who are of his caliber. Posa was accompanied by Andy Lelili the ANC Western Cape Provincial member, and a musician and activist Mzokemboli, who all threw their weight behind POSA to become the next ANC president. Lili is in fact the convener of POSA's presidential campaign. POSA accepted calls by Mawaning ANC branch and a member of the Limpopo ANC Youth League Provincial Committee, Jimmy Machaka, to contest to become the next president of the party. I was nominated by the branch here, and also... For the first time, by a provincial youth league of the NC, it's very uh, remarkable, I think, because uh, it represents many young people. And I've accepted both nominations, and I'm humble. And um, so the nominations are a big challenge, and I accept them with humility. I'm really joyed, excited, but humble. During the weekend-long ANC NEC meeting in Pretoria, ANC NEC member Joel Nishitenge supported by the Minister of Health, Aaron Mutualedi, and his deputy, Joe Pata, allegedly raised the issue of a vote of no confidence on Zuma to be tabled. I'm Rosan Shibase, my talks in Limpopo. Violence against women and children is ungodly. Violence against women and children is un-African. Violence against women and children is unconstitutional. Parenting and Kuzula, parenting and Kuzula. Abusers are devil's ambassadors on earth. They are like homegrown, homemade monsters. They are undermining our heart and the democracy. It's at 23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The African continent marked Africa Day last Thursday and there has been a call for the continent to be self-sufficient as opposed to selling its raw resources to the West only for them to return with hefty costs. Human rights experts are also adamant that Africa needs young leaders for its development. More from Kumi Naidu, South African human rights activist. Africa Day is in fact Africa Liberation Day or Africa Freedom Day. That was what Kwame Nkrumah talked about when the OAU was launched. Sadly today, most of our governments, as well as the African Union, actually don't really promote this day as much as one would have thought. We 
as South Africans, actually owe a big debt to the people of Africa for our own liberation, given the huge amount of solidarity that we received and so on. So part of this new pan-African social movement that we are launching called Africans Rising for Justice, Peace and Dignity is also to claim back Africa Day and Africa Liberation Day. And the reason why our governments don't promote it is very clear because many of our people on the continent will say, what freedom you're talking about? What liberation you're talking about? We don't have water. We don't have land. Part of what we're doing, though, through Africans Rising in this movement we're launching, the culmination of all of this effort is to say for Africa to move forward we need much deeper social economic and political integration of the continent Do you share the same sentiments as um you know, the likes of uh, Land First, Black First, Andile Mugatama uh, is of the, the view that we are celebrating Africa Day but it's not much worth a celebration given the socio-economic um, status of not only South Africa but the continent at, at large. I would be anxious about endorsing Andile as an individual because he is completely captured by the Guptas but that set aside, that perspective is not a uniquely uh, black land first uh, perspective. Our leaders have betrayed us badly. They have put their self-interest, they have put the Guptas and their families and their self-interest way before uh, the national public interest. And, and, and sadly, that's what you see happening in South Africa 20 plus years after liberation. The same pattern has been there across the continent. And the problem is many of our political and business leaders are suffering from a terrible illness and we need to be sympathetic towards them. And that illness is a disease that we could call affluenza. Affluenza is pathological condition where enough wealth is never enough, right? Where more, more, more is what you want. And where you delude yourself, you delude yourself into thinking happiness comes from things that actually you don't need. And what surprises me also is that we have all these religious leaders who live obscenely affluent lives. They talk... I mean, how can President Zuma, for example feel comfortable with the fact that he would choose, even if he, had, he did it with his own money, to build it a rural mansion surrounded by a sea of poverty and then you say, I'm for the poor. What our leaders must understand now, not just here in South Africa but across the continent, you can fool some of the people all the time. All of the people, some of the time. But you can never fool all the people all the time. And people are rising up throughout the continent. You can just see people are rising up and saying enough. I would say there is not that much to celebrate. We are fighting for the future of our children and their children. That's what is at stake here. It's not easy. It's doable. But sadly, our leaders are stuck with the very old thinking. And we need to actually bring fresh, youthful thinking into public life. Just to get your stance on the number of presidents around the continent who are still holding on to power in an instance perhaps of Zimbabwe, what would you say about that? The notion of leadership needs to be changed on the continent. Too many of our leaders want us to treat them like gods, like kings, like princes. But you notice I didn't say queens and princesses because the reality is we only have one women head of state on the continent, which is pathetic in itself. We have to assert 
that this continent is one that can meet its people's needs. It can, but what is needed is fresh leadership, fresh thinking, the courage to experiment, and a courage not to wait for Europe or China or U.S. to come up with a renewable energy technology and then we continue to be sl- slaves to that, for example. Right? So what we're needing is us also having a belief in ourselves. That was Kumi Naidu, South African human rights activist, speaking to Khomotomo Pulane. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveitwa. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun, rise it. Le soleil élevé. Weya, wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishadi, Mulibanj. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. The African Perspective. This is DJ Cleo with G-Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa. Bringing you the African Perspective. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines of African President Jacob Zuma is reported to have survived a motion of no confidence in him at an ANC National Executive Committee meeting in Irene outside Pretoria over the weekend. Egypt has launched a fresh round of airstrikes over Libya targeting militant camps, it says, were responsible for a shooting spree that killed dozens of Egyptian Christians. And militiamen have freed a French national and three Congolese who were kidnapped in during an attack on Pandro Kors Namoya gold mine in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And the South African Law Reform Commission recommends that South Africa continues to criminalize adult prostitutes. The second option it favors is that prostitutes cannot be criminally prosecuted, but that their clients, pimps and other role players engaged in prostitution can be arrested. South Africa's Justice and Correctional Services Minister Michael Masuta made the report and its recommendations public in Pretoria on Friday. The total decriminalization of adult prostitution was not investigated. Lila Machnas reports. Currently, the buying and selling of sexual services are criminalized in South African law. Justice and Correctional Services Minister Michael Masuta says the South African Law Reform Commission found that exploitation is inherent in prostitution and that the exploitation does not arise in response to the current laws. It concludes that changing the legislative framework could create an extremely dangerous cultural shift as 
uh, juxtaposed against the high rate of sexual crimes that are being committed against women and may render them even more vulnerable than at present. External factors related to gender violence, inequality and poverty are also factors that were taken into account. The report's preferred option is to retain a totally criminalised legal framework. This option is coupled with an opportunity for people in prostitution to divert out of the criminal justice system so that they can access supportive resources and systems in order to exit prostitution if they should choose to do so. The second recommendation is the partial criminalization of adult prostitution. This option criminalizes all role players engaged in prostitution with the exception of the person providing the sexual service. Miki Meji of Kwanele Survivors of Prostitution welcomed the report. I would ideally like to have the law look like the Nordic model or the partial criminalization where people who are exploited, bought and sold are not criminalized, but we uh, criminalize the perpetrators, meaning the third parties, the pimps, the brothel owners and the buyers of, um, of sex because they perpetrate violence against women. Sex workers, however, do not approve of any of the recommendations of the report as they want sex work to be decriminalized. They're just doing this. This is, this is just a PR stunt. At the end of the day, we will be sitting in a country where like, sex workers are still murdered, sex workers are still being dropped, sex workers cannot even report cases to police. And by decriminalizing sex work, it would mean one thing, that sex workers are able to work hand in hand with the police. Decriminalization is the only way to go because it will allow sex workers to be able to have access to health, it will allow sex workers to be able to report uh, violence, it will also reduce violence. The report is not a draft policy and does not bind cabinet in any way. More than 2,600 organizations and people were interviewed as part of the research for the report. The report will be published on the South African Law Reform Commission's website for public comment. I am Leila Magnus in Pretoria. Celebrities who attended the 23rd South African Music Awards at the Sun City Super Bowl in the Northwest Province have also added their voice in condemning the continuous violence against women and children, which include gruesome killings. They say this is an indication that the country needs to come up with programs that will curb such acts and also groom better men who will not abuse women. Itumele Khajane has more. Gauteng police have reported that 60 women were killed between the 1st of April and the 21st of May this year. Most were reportedly killed by their partners. This year's summers came at a time when the country is grappling with the increasing cases of women that are being killed. Celebrities have also weighed in on the topic. They have called on men perpetuating such crimes to stop and start seeing women differently. It was Karabumukwena's murder that recently shocked the nation. As it was still being digested, other similar cases were reported across the country. In Jubaten in Klekstop, the bent body of 15-year-old Nombuyiselo Nombeu was found near her home on the morning of Mother's Day. Actor Vuyodabula of Generations The Legacy, also known as Gaddafi, condemns this violence. Somewhere down the line we have lost that message that men are supposed to protect. Women are nurtured, they're playing their part. But women and uh, men are not playing that part in terms of protecting the women. And I think uh, the, ho- the whole issue that uh, 
uh, are there programs for girls, you know, with the Oprah school and everything, but th there's very little that's been done for boy children that uh, we need to actually start looking. So, we, you know, we're looking into the future uh, to build a balanced society. Sharing his sentiment is SABC's Mozwedding FM presenter, LTK. I think that as young people, particularly young people, um, we, we, we need to start standing up. We need to use the influence that we have to change the behavior. I think we, we, need, to, we need to look in, into our curriculum, try and infuse life skills, you know, programs that teaches a boy child to respect a girl child. And a call being made to musicians and the country to lead the fight against all forms of abuse against women and children. Musician Danny Kay formed Shout South Africa in the past, a program aimed at sensitizing people about women abuse. I think the music community has a massive role to play in setting the tone for creating a safe environment for women and children in our country. And I think every musician here should take a very real role in, in, in sending that message out to the country. TV and radio personality Pearl Tusi has meanwhile called on women to unite in fighting the scourge of abuse. Um, I think every woman has been, in some uh, form or shape, been subjected to some, some, some sort of abuse. And no matter how little, no matter how big, we need to call it out. Because when you call something out, when it's still small, you can stop it from becoming any sort of kind of bigger monster or bigger animal. Women need to stand together. Women need to defend each other. Women need to stand for each other. And we are actually more powerful than we think. And men will fold the day we stand together as one force. And that was South African actress and model Pearl Tusi ending that report by Itumele Khajani. More than 50% of children in society experience violence at the hands of the people who should be caring for them. That's according to research conducted by the South Africa-based Institute for Security Studies into violence against women and children. As the country commemorates Child Protection Week, we look at the state of children in our country. Tamil Mbele reports. The Institute for Security Studies says the majority of South African children experience violence and conflicts at home. The Institute's Chandra Gold. The one thing that parents don't understand, and this is really, really important, Save the Children South Africa recently did a study where they, if they looked at what does it cost South Africa when children experience violence. They came up with a figure that said that it costs our society 238 billion rand a year. Children who experience emotional or physical violence at home or at school are less likely to be able to go on and get well-paying jobs than children who don't experience violence. Child Welfare South Africa says a number of South African children are physically and sexually abused. Benny Obai is the National Executive Director at Child Welfare South Africa. We still have high cases of children that go without food, a lot of children without shelter, a lot of children that are sexually abused and sexually exploited on an ongoing basis. Youth unemployment is still, is still a big problem in, in the country. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done to help children come to a place where we can feel comfortable and say our children are safe and secure. In her recent visit to South Africa and Zimbabwe, UNICEF Guru Ambassador Priyanka Chopra expressed a shock at the statistics related to child abuse in these countries. If you think about violence against children, and these are children under 18, 
one out of three children under the age of 18 in Zimbabwe have faced some or the other form of sexual violence. One out of three. And South Africa, that number is one out of five. That's an epidemic. It's not a problem. And it's our problem to solve. Obai has called for more education and awareness about crimes targeting children in this country. He says often the children who become victims are the ones who have tried to reach out to their parents, family members and the police, but were ignored. Obai has urged parents to be more involved and vigilant around their children. This person is terrorized, is living in, in a home. Someone sends messages and asks him or her to send a nude picture and... He or she doesn't know what to do and doesn't know who to turn to for help. So they end up doing that and then the society ends up blaming them and saying you're irresponsible. Children are turning and saying, look, we have needs but no one is listening to us. The society has let them down. The future of the country's children looks bleak at the moment with funds for children's aid organizations also drying out. However, those who work in the sector say their passion for children and seeing them smile drives them to continue caring for them. I'm Tabile Mbele in Johannesburg. The Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, is warning of a highly contagious disease that is spreading among farmed and wild tilapia. The tilapia lake virus has now been confirmed in Colombia, Ecuador, Egypt, Israel and Thailand. And FAO is urging countries to intensify diagnostic testing, among other measures. So far, it can only be found in three species of tilapia. Dr. Melba Riantasso is a fishery Resources Officer with FAO, UN Radio's Mustafa Al-Khamal, asked her if there's any risk of the virus spreading to humans or to other fish species. For the moment, we are opinion that it has no public health significance. In general terms, there's no uh, fish viral disease that affects humans. What does the, the FAO recommend in that regard? Oh, we have several recommendations that we uh, released in our special alert. The first a set of recommendations with regards to importation or movement of live tilapias because this species is being moved around the world in different countries in different regions. So our recommendations for the importation of live tilapia is to take the appropriate risk management measures to reduce the likelihood that imported stocks are infected with PILV. And there are a number of measures that we have uh, listed. One is to do diagnostic testing and applying the methods that are outlined in the OIE disease card. OIE is the World Animal Health Organization. And another requirement is to issue an international health certificate that says that the shipments are originating from from countries that are certified to be negative for TILV and a few other measures like quarantine and monitoring of the stocks upon arrival, which these are normal procedures. And, of course, contingency planning in the case of an outbreak to ensure that the disease is contained. And then we have another set of recommendations for countries that, has the disease already and the countries that they don't know 
the status, whether they have the disease or not. Do we know if there is any risk of the virus spreading or being carried out by non-Talabia species? We don't know. This is one of the uh, questions that researchers need to urgently answer. So far, it affects only three species of tilapia. Yeah, so the three species, the Sarotherodon galileus, the other one is Nile tilapia, and the other one is hybrid tilapia. That was Dr. Melba Riantaso, a fishery resources officer F- with FAO, speaking to UN Radio's Mustafa Al-Kamal. Am Tabisolohogo. British Airways passengers are facing a third day of disruption to their travel plans. This as the airline battles to overcome the impact of a major IT failure which started on Saturday. Officials at London's main international airport at Heathrow say disruptions to British Airways flights are continuing. The airline says it will run a full haul schedule from Heathrow since Monday and a higher proportion of short-haul flights and a full schedule of service from Gatewick. U.S. authorities are still considering banning laptops from cabin baggage on all international flights, saying terrorists are obsessed with the idea of taking down a U.S. plane. The U.S. already has a ban on laptops on flights to and from eight mostly Muslim countries. The U.K. issued similar rules for flights from six countries. But air travel safety experts have warned that there is a greater risk of lithium battery fires going unchecked if large electronic items are left in the hold. South Africa's fast food group Famous Brands has scrapped its dividend for the first time in 13 years, seeking to conserve capital after debt levels rose following seven acquisitions, which include Gourmet Burger Kitchen. The company says it is anticipated that, subject to future acquisitions and operating requirements, a payment of dividends will resume in the 2018 financial year. The South African group, which also owns casual dining chain Wimpy UK and fast food assets such as Steers and Debonairs, bought Britain's Gourmet Burger Kitchen for $163 million US million in September last year. Stanbic Bank Zambia calls for the need to promote a savings culture in the country if it's to achieve much-needed growth. The bank says that there is a need to create a culture of saving in Zambia because one of the challenges they have in the economy is that savings ratios are very low. Stanbic Zambia highlighted during the launch of Stanbic's new Achiever banking service, which is a product designed to help clients save and access resources, as well as support lifestyle opinions. Standard & Poor's is likely to follow its regular ratings review schedule for China and does not see any basis at this point for an out-of-schedule meeting. Moody's Investor's service last week cut its sovereign ratings on China by a notch, putting them on par with those of Fitch rating. S&P is one step above the two agencies holding an AA rating with the negative outlook that it has maintained since March 2016. 
The US dollar trades at 12.85 in South Africa, 9.97 in Botswana, 9.28 in Zambia, 7.8 to the British pound, 8.9 to the euro, gold $1,266, platinum $958 an ounce, brand crude $52.10 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku for Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estúdios centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. A sports update up next with Figle Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. South African athlete Casta Simenya extended a lead in the Diamond League Series in a specialist event, winning the women's 800-meter race at the third leg of the campaign in Eugene, Oregon, in the U.S. at the weekend. Having won the opening leg of the series in Doha a few weeks earlier, Simenya returned to the track to grab a hard-fought victory in 1 minute 57.78 seconds. Margaret Wambui of Kenya worked hard in an attempt to secure a red triumph over the South African star, but she settled for second place, 1 minute 57.88 seconds. Francine Yonsab of Burundi earned third position, 1 minute 59.10, with the top six women all dipping under two minutes. The next leg in the Diamond League series takes place in Rome, Italy, on the 8th of June. On to football news. Senegal and Ecuador finished goalless at the Zhengzhou World Cup Stadium in their final Group F match at the FIFA Under-20 World Cup Korea Republic 2017. They have now advanced to the last 16 of the ongoing World Cup. The West Africans thought they had the winning goal in the 54th minute, but the video assistant referee cancelled Aliou Baji's effort as the forward was adjudged to have fouled Ecuador goalkeeper Jose Cevalos after he managed to keep out an Ibrahima Niani header on the line. Ecuador's Joao Rogers attempted a powerful shot in the 78th minute, but Senegal goalkeeper Mohamed Mbaye was up to the challenge and made the save. The shared point means Senegal finishes as Group F runners-up to USA, who drew one all with Saudi Arabia in the group's one other match while Ecuador head home. 
It was a FIFA Under-20 World Cup that had very few positives for the South African National Under-20 Amajita side. But one of the players that left his mark in tournament is Mamelodi Sundowns left back Maliboho Modise. Amajita considered four goals from three matches in this tournament and scored only one goal. But Modise runs and effectiveness on the left channel has impressed many people. I would say, yeah, I had a great tournament, yeah. And I think I told myself that I didn't make it for the scout that meant went to Chile. I told myself that it's not the end of the world. I should work hard. So I worked hard. And when I heard that the team is going to be going to the World Cup under 20, I told myself that that was my opportunity. Then I got the opportunity and I grabbed it with my both hands. So, yeah. Amajita are on their way home after exiting the tournament and they're flying via Hong Kong and will land at OR Dambo International Airport this morning. Into rugby news, outgoing Bulls Super Rugby coach Nolis Murray says his team will need to work on their reaction speed and train harder to compete at the speed of Super Rugby after the 34-20 loss against the Hurricanes at Loftus Fersfeld. Murray says they had outplayed the Hurricanes at certain stages of the game, but their inability to keep up with the pace of the game caused them. Yeah, obviously, I mean, we were 16, uh, I think the score was 14-13, we missed the key to uh, the, the three points, we missed it. And um, then they scored a try, and we went to attack again, and made an error, and they kicked us in the corner, and they scored quick 10 points from there, and, you know, attacked the game a bit away from you. And, um, yeah, and then you turned it off to our halfway 24-13. Uh, I mean, same for me and John, we think the same way about certain things. And um, We had a discussion yesterday, and I showed... We talked about it. We need to train at a certain level above gameplay. And Hurricanes coach Chris Boyd was pleased with the effort his team put in to walk away with the five points, including bonus point. Boyd considered that the game had been their most physical of the season. Well, our mission here was to get five points, which which, which we did. So we were really <coughs> happy with that, and that's probably certainly physically the toughest game we've had this year. I think TJ will back that up, but. Tough game, and I thought uh, you know the Bulls were in the game for a long period of time. And finally, with tennis news, Angelique Kerber became the first top seed to lose in the opening round of the Roland Garros as tearful Petra Kitova swept to victory in a first match since surviving a knife attack which almost ended her career. German world number one Kerber, the reigning US Open champion, dropped serve six times on her way to a 6-2, 6-2 defeat to Russia's Ekaterina Makarova. Two-time Wimbledon champion Kitova downed and outlast Julia Bosaba of the United States 6362 falling to her knees in celebration in the moment of victory before weeping at the net. That's a sport news this hour. Africa rise and shine. Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Kenya's main opposition leader cleared to run for presidency and Lesotho politicians make final push for votes. 
That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Komuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. I'm taking us to the top of our on the for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern africa is ismail low with a song titled jamu africa